0: Special podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Give over to God so that we may glorify Him. And these aren't things that we stop to do in a legalistic sense, but we rather stop doing them because we glorify God and we want God more. We glorify God and we want God more. And because of that, there's a change in our actions. Growing Pains is much more than a series that, yes, we, we, you used to watch if you're my age, if you're as old as I am. I'm 35. All right, there. Get that out of the way. I'm 35. Um... And growing pains is applicable to many facets of life. But in this context, we're looking at the growing pains that result from our walk with Jesus. Once we've come to know Jesus, there is change that actually God is enacting in us. We could think it's us, but his word we'll see today promises us, guarantees us that it is God in work in our lives. If we've truly met him, if we are truly in him, God is doing something supernatural in us. He's changing the way we think. He's changing the way we react to the world. He's changing our very sense of morality. We have moralities that oftentimes disagree with God. But the Word of God calls us to align ourselves and, in fact, empowers us to align ourselves with it. That's part of the growing pains that we're going to see today. See, I remember Pastor Jason, when opening the series, talked about how he looked forward to growing. And I I can identify with that, too. He mentioned, like, when he wanted to be able to drive. I remember as a teenager, man, I couldn't wait to be 16 so that I could drive, finally. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm a man, you know. I can drive a car. I got a sunbird at 16 that only started half the times you tried to start it. So it was a disaster. And the the cloth ceiling was falling off. And so when you were going at 60 in the freeway, it was flopping all over you and flopping all over all my friends. Eventually, I put thumbtacks on it. And then when I was at 60 on the freeway, it was throwing thumbtacks on everyone. (laughs) Didn't work. But those are the cars you remember, right? But there's a part about growing that I remember disliking. See, I remember as a kid, kind of like that song, the Toys R R Us jingle, I don't want to grow up, don't want to grow up, something like that. I remember it in Spanish because back then I lived in Puerto Rico, and it was, yo no quiero ser grande, yo no quiero, yo no quiero ser grande, yo no quiero. It's the same thing. I don't want to grow up, don't want to grow up. And I was like, to me, that was like my anthem. Like, I ain't going to grow up. I want to be immature my whole life. I want to have fun. And uh, unfortunately, what I was associating with growth and with maturing was that it wasn't fun. And I think often when we think about it in a spiritual context, we can think about it that way. We can think, well, it's not fun that I have to stop doing all the fun stuff. That's our perspective on it, right? It's our sinful perspective on growth. Growing or maturing means no fun, and so here's how I lived it in my life. My sister, she was younger than me, uh, about f- uh, five years younger than I am, and she had this toy. James, if you could bring up the first picture, does anyone remember? Th- does anyone know what this is? Yes, Polly Pocket. Sarah's like, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm. All right. Uh, I remember. I would make fun of her for having this portable doll dollhouse, but secretly, I uh, I kind of envied it because. I loved, when I was a kid, any fun that you could take with you, any portable fun. And so I was like, yeah, you suck. But deep down inside, I was like, yeah, man, I wish there was a boys' one. So around the time that I was in the fourth or fifth grade, Mattel delivered Mighty Max. Mighty Max was the version, the boys' version of Holly Pocket. It was so cool. This one was called uh, Skull Dungeon. And uh, as you can see, it's a skull. (laughs) But more importantly, there's like a Frankenstein type monster and a doctor. And Mighty Max is that little figure up there in the top with the sideways cap because he was cool. I I wanted it so bad. I can still remember the smell of opening up the Mighty Max package. It was like, oh, it was so cool. There was a trap door. And I loved it. And I played with it so much. It, this was a summer, summer between fourth and fifth grade. And then I took it to school. And all of the boys were like, man, you're so immature. Look at Ricardo. He's playing with a Polly Pocket. Ah, ha, 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 And I was destroyed. I was so destroyed. Like, I tried to, like, whatever. I don't care. Whatever. And I kept playing with it. And then a couple of days later, I gave all of my Mighty Max toys to my cousin. Because he was younger than me. And I, I felt embarrassed. They were calling me girl, playing with Polly Pocket. And I remember, I was like, all right, because back then, everyone was talking about, like, you're not mature. Or, wow, Jose is so mature, Ricardo isn't. So I didn't want to be in that group. I wanted to be the mature kid. But in reality, I hated it, because fun was gone. The fun, like playing with these toys that I loved so much. Of course, eventually, I learned that maturing doesn't mean not having fun. Maturing is much more different than that. Maturing means that you have a capability to respond to the environment around you that's different than the one you had before. It does not mean lack of fun. I mean, look at my shirt, yeah. right? I'm still a geek. I'm a, a self-professed Star Wars geek and just movie geek in general, uh, comic books, you name it. And I'm 35, so I never got over it. I, there's someone older than me, Carlos. He's a, he, he's a, he's a geek too, He's a comic book geek, Is always wearing, I mean, just, just keep tabs, you're going to see he's always wearing a Marvel, Marvel shirt at least eight out of nine times. Um, but, here's the thing, uh, we want to see how we can change our perspective on growth being not fun, it can be fun, but rather growth being an, a, a response, a better response to the one we had before, to the environment around us, particularly to that of salvation. And so Jason last week, Pastor Jason, started talking about the gospel of salvation and the simplicity of that, just coming before God and recognizing that we are sinners. No one is perfect, not one. So we should start by quickly mentioning that. The first thing that we should take away with us today, continuing on from Pastor Jason's message, is that salvation is a free undeserved gift available to all. Salvation is a free, undeserved gift available to all. Why is it available to all? Because we're all sinners. And why is it free? Well, the Bible uses a, the word a lot, grace. Right? And grace is this gift that you receive, uh, that you've done nothing to deserve it. You've been, you've participated nothing in no way, in no shape or form in your salvation. If not, you wouldn't be saved. Save means someone else, if you're saved, you've been saved by some exterior agent. In this case, Jesus. God has saved us. And in Romans 3, this is chapter 3, uh, verses 22 through 25, we get one of the i guess you can say summary passages of the gospel much like john 3 16 that pastor jason shared last week so let's look at romans chapter 3 verses 22 through 25 so we can see this and remind ourselves of the concept of grace and salvation that's free again it's a grace free based salvation it says in verse 22 the righteousness of god Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So you see it's available to all. For all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. There it is. It's a free undeserved gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith. That's it. By faith, He saves me. By His blood, I'm saved. It's a free gift. There's nothing I am doing, nothing I am doing to to enact that salvation. And here's the thing. Sometimes there's one verse and you might doubt, well, maybe that's not what they meant. But the Bible over and over again, Paul specifically reminds us, you ain't doing nothing, son. You ain't doing nothing to get your salvation. It's all God. God. And so this one won't appear in the screen, but Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9 says, once again, the key word for by grace, a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith, another key word. And this is not your own doing. In case you didn't realize that, Paul is telling you. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. He's furthering that like reality check. You're, you're not doing anything. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Nothing about your salvation is intrinsically dependent on you. It's all upon God. He saves us. This is is a powerful realization because it frees us. And, in fact, our own sinfulness really describes our need for that salvation. Now, here's... The shocking reality of the gospel, it goes beyond that. It's not just that you do nothing to receive it. It's not just that. One of the other shocking realities of salvation, why we call it, as Drew told me yesterday on our drive, he said it's the good news. Here it is. Once truly received, and that word truly is important, salvation has a lifetime warranty." That can be controversial in certain circles, but I'm just going to read the Bible to you. I'm not going to try to explain it. I'm going to read the Bible to you regarding what it says. The first verse telling us that this is a warranty is Romans 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. In fact, I was in my conversation with Drew yesterday, who leads worship, um, and as part of our worship team, we were talking about this very passage. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, so if I am in Christ Jesus, if I'm in Him, there is therefore now, henceforth, no condemnation. Now maybe you're like me, and I had OCD that was religious in nature, and I was like, well, that doesn't tell it to me directly. I don't know. Maybe that, uh, it sounds like you're interpreting it that way. There is more. In particular there's two passages that will not appear on the screen but I want you to write them down so that you can check them out on your free time. Together with Romans 8:1, you want to write down Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 through 14. That's Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 through 14. It says, notice the tense of what it says here so that you understand it's done. It's done. It's over. It says He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us. You've been moved. And transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have, not we haven't received it yet, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That last part again, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Write that one down. Another one is Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. It says again, we have now, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Key word again, undeserved and permanent. Undeserved and permanent salvation. See, religiously, I used to think of salvation as a contract that I signed. And in that contract, I sign, it says, you've received salvation, you're saved. But under it, there's these like stipulations in fine print that say, well, you could break the contract with sin. You could break it. If you sin a lot, you could break the contract. That's not the way salvation works. That contract is incorrect. Rather, here's how the contract looks like. You sign a contract that says you're saved and the stipulations, the fine print, here's what they say. You are now dead to yourself. You are now dead to yourself. You're mine. I'm going to make you a new person and a new creation. So you won't sin as much as you did. Your, your life is going to start to change because it's not a law-based salvation. It is a change the nature, the fibers of who I am salvation. He's changing it. He's making me a new person. It's not based on regulation, and that doesn't mean lawlessness. It doesn't mean that we're not, that we're not, that we're sinning. It means that now I'm not in the mornings taking out a sheet with rules, memorizing them to make sure I, don't, I keep them that day. No, now it's a response. Now my heart seeks that, and the more that I mature and grow in Christ, that is the more obvious I am seeking him. I am wanting him. And not the sins anymore. And I am intentionally trying to have more of Jesus in my life. And that results in less sins. So the contract is you're saved and the stipulations are that now you are being changed. He is at work in you. And the Bible says it. Paul tells us that he who started a good work in us will bring it to completion. God is at work in in you, if you've received Jesus, nothing you can do. Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 14. Ephesians 1, thir- uh, verses 13 through 14. I do believe this one is on the screen. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your sal- salvation, and believed in him, here, here it is. If you didn't believe me now, you're going to believe it. Here it is. Were sealed sealed you can't break god's seal you cannot break god's seal you were sealed with the promised holy spirit who is oh wait you you weren't convinced yet he's going to tell you again who is the guarantee guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory of course you'd praise his glory he did it all He did it all. He's guaranteed it. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. And you're waiting for your acquisition of this inheritance. So regardless of where you fall in theologically, this is what the Bible says. I'm just reading you passages. And if it wasn't convincing in the previous passages, see right there, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee. And all of the tense is done in that Very passage. Still don't believe it? I have one more. Do you still not believe it's done? John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. If you didn't want to listen to Paul, Jesus now is going to be like, What? He's going to drop the truth bomb right now on you and tell you that he is not going to let you go. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So there's evidence that they are sheep. They follow him. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And here it is. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Thank you. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Oh, you wanted more? You wanted more? It's done. Jesus has you. The Father has you. They ain't letting go. Put it all together, sealed with the Holy Spirit, guaranteed He never lets you go. And this is if you're His sheep. So this isn't there's another part drew when i was talking with him yesterday about this he brought this so eloquently he said in, in the gospel jesus talks about sheep and goats the sheep are the real ones the goats are not this is the real ones and he's telling you yeah my sheep will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hat hand done that's it this is why the gospel is so shocking This is why I wish that was the understanding of the gospel the world has. They have a religious-based understanding of the gospel. It's our job to take this out. It's the good news. See, everyone knows Jesus saved them and died for them. That's what they repeat. But they don't understand this shocking news. It's all on him, and he doesn't let you go. It's all on him, and he doesn't let you go. Jesus will not let you go. That's the one relationship that will never, in any degree, fail you. He will never let you go. Now, what's problematic about this? What's problematic about such an assertion is that a lot of people typically think immediately, wrongfully, that this is licensed to sin. They see this And I'm seeing worldly people who haven't experienced the gospel, the saving power of God, they see this as license to sin. Oh, if it's done, then I can sin. If it's secure, then I can sin all I want. And those are not sheep, because sheep follow. Jesus said it. Sheep follow. So it's not license to sin. And so that's our third point. Salvation is not license to sin. Growth is the fact that salvation makes us a supernaturally new person. Let's say that again. Salvation is not licensed to sin. If you think so, or if you treat it as such, then either you need to mature or you haven't experienced it yet. Salvation makes a supernaturally new person. Now, this is why in the Bible, Paul consistently says we're no longer under the law. It's not that he's saying lawlessness. He's referring to the old covenant. And this is a language that's well established in the New Testament. He's referring to the old way of things. Now the new way of things in Galatians 5, he contrasts it with the law. And he says, it is the fruit of the spirit. Because now it's an outward natural behavior worked by God. And not a list that I try to remember. Trying to remember a list doesn't work, but if this is naturally springing out from me, if this is the new person that God is working in me, that's way more powerful. And in Galatians 5, he tells us, for such people that live under the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. That's a quote. And it's referring to, you're no longer under the old way of memorizing lists. You're under the new way of the fruit of the Spirit. It's prophetic that Jackie went over the fruits of the Spirit right before, right? Preach? Yes? <laughs> this was part of it, that's why. So we're a new person. Let's see the passages that support this. First, let's see 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Here it is. It's not licensed to sin. It says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So it's not license to sin. No one born of God makes a practice. Now keep in mind, and we're going to talk about this a little later, it doesn't mean that you guys are never going to sin. That's not what it means. I love this translation because it says, does not make a practice of sinning. Practice is intentional. When I go to the basketball court and I need to work on my jump shot, not anymore, but I practice it. It's intentional. I repeat it over and over again. So you don't make a practice of sinning, but you still sin. And the grace of God covers us. But the whole point is that your attitude towards sin has changed. You no longer practice it. You no longer intentionally repeat it. You no longer indulge in it because you like it and it's okay. You've adjusted because you've become a new person. Notice there, it says you can't help it. He cannot keep on sinning. And it says before that, God's seed abides in you. God is working in you. He's making you new. You can't keep doing this anymore. Even in your sleep. Even in your sleep. <laughs> Preach. Even in your sleep. So, I want you to connect this this language from this verse, it says, no one born of God. That goes back to Pastor Jason's message. Chapter 3, it talks about being born again in John chapter 3, and that's what he was preaching on. So again, coming to salvation means being born again because you're a new person. All those words that we're discussing in this passage are so important because of that. This is a person that's come to experience Jesus as their salvation, but also as the one true satisfaction of all of their desires, above any other fleshly desires. So how do we mature? What does growth look like? Does it mean lack of fun? Or does it mean that we respond to our environment in a healthy way? We are ready for what comes, and we know how to deal with our new lifestyle. We don't accommodate to the world's lifestyle, but rather we submit to God because He was crucified for us. Let's see Titus chapter 2. This is our growth passage today. Here's where we see that salvation goes beyond both the fact that it's permanent and that He doesn't let us go. It goes beyond that. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. I'll say that again. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. This is the passage that throughout the week you're going to keep track of because salvation goes beyond the fact that it's permanent and he doesn't let you go. It changes you. Here it is. For the grace of God has appeared. Grace, key word again, free. Bringing salvation for all people. We've discussed that. We're saved. Here it is. Training us. To renounce. It's training us. It's a work in progress. You see? You make mistakes. But he's training you. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's your biggest hope in life. is him. It's much more than being forgiven of sins. You're being forgiven of sins because you want Him. You want His glory. Who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness uh, lawlessness, and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous, zealous of good works. Growth in our faith is not something that's unfun. You're zealous for it. You know what zealous means? You are zealous for it. This is something that you're like, oh man, I want it. I want to do good works. I want to be a different person because God is working in me. His seed is in me. He abides in me. He's given me his Holy Spirit. He saved me when I didn't deserve it. He's never letting me go and now he's training me. He saved me Completely free of anything I could do. He's never letting me go. And now he's training you. Don't forget the training part. That's the biggest call that we have as Christians. After we realize that we're permanently saved. And that it's nothing on us. Now we live differently. We're not earning salvation. We're seeking to train ourselves. This is tough. You've got to train yourself to renounce ungodliness. And you have to um, renounce to lawlessness. And you have to purify yourself and be zealous for good works. But here's the thing. It's Jesus at work in you. God's seed abides in you. He will empower you to do it. Pray for it. Ask for it. Yesterday, again, I, was, I, I spent a lot of time with Drew. We went to the Nam show. It's a music show in, uh, in Anaheim. It was awesome. I had never gone I had never gone. And something he said that's so true. It's not that we're not sinning because we're trying to earn salvation. It's been earned. He said, it's just that now when you sin, you feel very icky. (laughs) I love it. I love it. He said, now you feel very icky. Why? Because God's seed abides in you. He's changing you. You're a different person. You're a new creation. You've received the Holy Spirit, and now you have two sets of desires. Galatians 5 says you have the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. So when you sin, it's because you've given in to the desires of the flesh, but now your spirit is bothering you. Now it's not just fun anymore. Now it's actually not fun. To not grow is not fun. To not grow as a new creation is not fun because now you feel icky. (laughs) So I want to train myself, God wants to train me rather, to become a person that's new from the inside out who is zealous for good works. My way of seeing that is it's fun for me to do good works. It is fun. I'm a new person and I'm loving who it is, you know. I'm dancing on sunshine. Is that what it says? Whoa. I'm walking on sunshine. I'm going to break my back. All right, let's stop. Um, so, you are zealous for good works. Whoa. Now, as I said, I wanted to come back to this because if you walk away feeling condemned for sin in your life, that's not the message. Rather, it is... Seeking to train ourselves, with errors included. So I want to remind you, lastly, before we go, Saved people still sin, but always seek His cleansing blood. Saved people still sin, but always seek His cleansing blood. In a passage that I love so much because it almost looks contradictory, John tells us in 1 John chapter 1 what this weird play is where we don't want to sin, we don't want to practice sin, but we still sin, and Jesus has our back. We don't want to sin, we don't want to practice sin, but Jesus still has our back when we do. So don't walk away feeling condemned. Walk away wanting to run towards God, and to submit to Him, and walk by His empowerment, and receive grace, and rejoice in grace when you sin. Look at how easy it is first John chapter six ver, uh, chapter one excuse me verses six through ten see if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth so he's saying look if you're practicing sin right then the truth isn't in you but if we lo- walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin now in case you're still thinking, well, he's saying you can never sin. Nope. He's, he's got you covered already in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. What? Don't sin, but you still sin. Don't lie about it. You actually do sin. We all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us kind of contradictory but here's what it's saying you don't seek to practice sin you're training yourself to righteousness and when you do sin the grace of god is immediate you just confess and say i'm sorry forgive us forgive us of our trespasses it's done you have here's why because you've already been secured you've been sealed by the holy spirit who is a guarantee of the inheritance you are to receive. It's done. Jesus said, I'm never letting you go. And Paul tells us that now he is working in us. This is what we need to do. So here's my last question for you. It's not a bullet point or anything. Where are we not growing? Where do I need training? What sins have I brushed under the rug of grace just because I have grace? Don't take grace for granted. Rather, seek to be zealous of good works because that seed is in you. Seek to be zealous of good works. You're going to enjoy life more and you're not going to feel icky. You won't feel icky. And it's tough because we believe one thing and God tells us another. The world says one thing and God tells us another. We have to submit to God. Seek true joy by embracing a zealousness for good works. Have fun in maturing. Let's pray. Father, we come before you first and foremost thankful, praising you, and screaming with joy of happiness because your salvation is permanent, because you never let us go, and because it was you. Remind us of this, Lord, as we drive to work, as we talk with friends, as we take time to drink coffee or have lunch, that we did nothing to earn your salvation. Nothing. You gave it freely as a gift. That's grace. And you are never letting us go. No one will snatch us out of his hand. I pray that you would remind us of this, Lord. And now I pray that you train us right now at this moment. At this moment, Lord. I want all of us, including myself, to look inward right now. Look inward and think about, you have it for us because we're not perfect. What's that area? Where are we not growing? Put it before us, Lord. And as a congregation, may we look at that right now and think about it and give it over to you. To be zealous, to renounce to that and to do good works instead. We put it before you, Lord, wanting to glorify you and to declare to the world that you're better than our old desires. Make it tangible for us, Lord, and give us, because it's you working in us, a a sense of commitment to renounce to it. May we grow. May may we not take it for granted anymore. May we be trained by you, Lord. At this moment, I also want to pray for the tithes and offerings as the ushers come forth. May you would use it, Lord, to bless this city and beyond. As Pastor Jason was saying, we're praying for this city. There's corners that are broken. They, some people in this city have not experienced the permanent salvation that you give. They have not experienced the fact that you love us so much that you never let us go, ever. Lord, may this, offering, this gift, be used for that. May we bring people to your loving embrace, that they may feel your hand sustaining them, never letting them go, and saying, I love you. I love you, and I save you. Multiply and use these tithes and offerings, and may we take this message from God with us throughout the week. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.